want you to find 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I want you to hold your place. Find also Luke chapter 6. We're going to try to get to there. A couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Went back over to Malachi 3. We will get back to our look at the life of Christ. We've been 35 messages there. We're about to come close to the end. We're at close to the end of his first year of ministry, tracing his steps chronologically. But I don't know for what um, today we'll not deal with much out of 2 Corinthians 8 nor 2 Corinthians 9. We will touch on a couple of things, the Lord willing. But I don't know for what we won't come back next Sunday then and deal with chapter 8, the following Sunday deal with chapter 9. But while we're dealing with Christian giving, I want to deal with it. You know the principles of our faith promise, uh, missions, uh, comes out of these two chapters. And so I want to read the same text we read two weeks ago. I'm going to review where we were two weeks ago. uh, And I'm going to try to get us just a little bit farther in this matter, the principles of Christian giving. Let's stand together. 2 Corinthians 8. We want to read the first five verses there. In 2 Corinthians 9, we want to read three verses out of chapter 9. And again, we're dealing with uh, Christian giving. May I remind us these two chapters are given, uh, the whole two chapters are given to this matter of Christian giving. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto, and unto us by the will of God. Moving over to chapter 9, three verses, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now that's what we know to be an axiom in Bible interpretation. It's an established fact. You sow just a little bit in your garden, seed, corn seed, expect small harvest from it. You sow abundantly, expect that you'll be shucking uh, corn for a while. be a lot of work involved. So it is, he's talking about the giving. There was a need that Jerusalem saints had because of persecution, famine, a number of other things. This I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth the cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Thank you for standing. You be seated, please. Tell you what, let me do. Let me go ahead and scan these two chapters, and then we're going back and reviewing. Then I will take you a little farther 
This we'll look at uh, Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 38 in a moment. As a matter of fact, we'll look at 36, 37, and 38 of Luke chapter number 6. Let me show you, let me show you the large sections of this chapter, uh, these two chapters. In chapter number 8, verse number 2, uh, you'll notice that Paul writes that Christian giving, number 1, should be joyful giving or cheerful giving, verse number 2 of chapter 8. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Then in chapter 9, verse 7, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You know the word that uh, that word cheerful comes from, the word hilario. It means literally a hilarious giver, someone who enjoys giving. I asked you a couple of weeks ago, which part of the service do you enjoy the most? Is it the praying? Is it the singing? Is it the fellowship? Is it the preaching? We should enjoy all of it, and we should enjoy the giving of the service as well. There's spiritually minded giving. Chapter number 8, verses 4 and 5. Praying us, speaking of these churches in Macedonia, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves. That's key. First gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Spiritually minded giving. You don't have to browbeat people. You don't have to browbeat spiritually minded people when it comes to this matter of giving. You just don't have to do it. You don't have to use gimmicks. You don't have to come through the back door. You don't have to be unhanded. As a matter of fact, when a need is mentioned, if it be with a missionary or the work of the Lord around the local church, it becomes the work of the individuals now and the work of the Holy Spirit, right? You don't have to have a car wash. You don't have to have a cakewalk or sell popcorn balls. You just, God's, uh, God's uh, established plan, dear heart, is that we give and support the work of God through tithes and offerings, through tithes and offerings. And if we ever get to the place, we don't take an offering in our missions conference. We don't take one in our Bible conference. We took an offering, our last Bible conference, but it was for Brother Ronnie Cannon and the ministry that he and his dear wife been called to. You remember that? And we didn't keep it for our church. If it ever gets to where we can't fund a Bible conference, we'll quit having it. And, and that's what you do, right? Something dies, you bury it. You move on past it. You don't sit around mourn about it. When it's time to move on, you shift gears, and you keep moving for the glory of God. Spiritually minded giving. There are examples of giving. Chapter number 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, the churches of Macedonia. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, isn't that amazing? They had needs themselves. It's interesting to me that givers always have something to give. It may not always be that they give monetarily, but givers always find something to give. They will give of themselves. They will give of their times. They will give of their energy. Givers always have something to give. They had great need. Their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Matter of fact, you'll find in chapter number 8 of 2 Corinthians, it wasn't that Paul had to beg them uh, to give to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. Uh, Evidently, he tried to caution them about giving because they had great needs. And in essence, what they said was, Paul, don't cheat us out of a blessing. 
God's blessed us, and we want to give out of what we have. And God blesses giving like that. These churches, these churches of Macedonia would have been the congregations at Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Sensible giving. Sensible giving. Chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. For some reason, when a pastor deals with giving in a Baptist church, some people draw up. And some might say, no, preacher, honestly, I tithe. I give a small amount as an offering beyond my tithe to our church or to a local church somewhere, but I don't have means beyond that. Do you know if you don't have the means, you're not to give to the point that you become a burden on other people. You are to give, and you are to give sensibly. If you don't have it to give, you don't have it to give. And, and God may have placed other folk with the ability to give in a local assembly, and they may give in abundance. As a matter of fact, I think about the lesson that Jesus taught, don't you, of the widow. He's standing over against the treasury. There were those who came by and gave their offerings, and a widow gave two mites. And Jesus said, proportionately, she's given more than everybody. Uh, she's given all she had. She don't have anything else to give. She gave everything she had this morning. And so proportionately, it may be that those that don't have much to give monetarily may be given more than those who do have. Does that make sense to you? But we're to give sensibly. We're to give purposefully. Chapter 8, verses 14 to 15. Watch this. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. Then in chapter 9, verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, there's where faith promise, a lot of our faith promises built from, our faith promise giving, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Purposeful giving, faithful giving, chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And then respectful giving. Now, I won't read the verses because we're coming back to this overview I'll just give you of chapter 8 9. But the respectful giving, if you know anything about 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul is apostleship. They were Judaizers that had joined themselves to the church at Corinth. And whenever they came in, they came in with a hatred toward Paul. They tried to undermine all the work that God had used him to establish in the church. I mean, he writes in 2 Corinthians, when he writes, he makes an appeal at times, such as a mother to her own children or a father to his children. And, and he asked them on a number of occasions, would you please give me a hearing? I love you. I've invested in you. I, I've, I've won you to Christ. And so, but these Judaizers that came in that despised Paul and the work that was going on there had accused him of several things. They questioned his apostleship. They accused him of preaching for his own cult following. They accused him of preaching for money. And so at the end of chapter number 8, we'll see this in two weeks, but at the end of chapter number 8, Paul said, it's not just me. You've accused me. I've had those who have pointed the finger at me, but it won't stick. The accusation will not, the charge will not stick. He said, because Titus is helping me in this offering. And he said, and you churches have handpicked a man. So there were the brothers three. You've heard me say this the last two years around here. But accountability does not hurt the church. It helps the church. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anything for us to have some checks and balances around here. And to be on the up and up. 
the devil's always looking for an inroad. Now, is that right or is that wrong? He's always looking for an inroad. And if he can do it handling the money, he'll do it handling the money. And Paul said, I've got a remedy for, for that. Now, let's go back over where we've been. We've talked about in this matter of Christian giving. Uh, we've talked about how that, um, how that in Christian giving, there, uh, there were financial needs that were needed there in Jerusalem. There was a multitude of people. The church, the church was there at Jerusalem in the beginning, right? There weren't the establishing of other churches as of yet. Paul is taking, now he is taking the gospel and establishing churches, but people just stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles were there. The church was established there. And because of that, there's a great multitude of people. There were many needs that were there. The first deacons that were set aside and selected by the church, the first deacons were set aside because of the great needs. There were widows that were being neglected. They were hungry. They had needs in their lives. And so they set aside. They seek out and set aside seven men of honor's report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that whom we, we may appoint over this business. And they set them aside. As Paul would travel, he's taking this offering to bring back to be distributed among those who had great need. That's why Paul wrote in chapter number, uh, chapter number 8, uh, if you're still open there, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 1, he writes, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. We do you to wit. We want, we want to make this known to you. We want you in the know as to what we're doing. And then he proceeds to write two whole chapters about the grace of giving. And the grace of God and giving to the work of God are intertwined. God, through his grace, is given to you and me, and we, because of the grace of God, give back to the work of God. You remember we talked about how that uh, there are many gifts. When you were born again, when you were saved, the Spirit of God gave you at least a gift. Now, I'm convinced he gave you a measure of more than one gift. When you were saved, you were given that gift. You didn't select that gift. You didn't pick that gift. But God placed you in this local assembly with that gift. If it be something is uh, what often is overlooked, uh, something as simple as the gift of hospitality. God gave someone the gift of um, exhortation, which is encouragement. God placed all those gifts in this local body. And we can minister. I uh, pastor the church, of course, and we have deacons, we have teachers, those with the ability to impart truth. But we all function as a body as God has placed all these gifts in the pews that seated around you this morning. And that's a blessing. And one of the gifts listed in uh, Romans chapter 12 verses um, 6 through 8 is the gift of giving. And there are some who just have the gift of giving. God has blessed them. They're able to handle their finances well. They're good stewards. They invest well. They work hard. They don't just lavish it upon themselves and if they do of course that's their own business but what they are keenly aware of is when there's a need they take up their basket and their store and they give and those with that gift the bible says let them do it with simplicity in other words when you give if you have that gift and i think we have some folk in this church i know some people scattered around the southeast i believe have that gift the gift of giving and when you give that gift you don't do it waving the flag right do it with simplicity do it under the cover. Do it where no one understands what you're doing. And just as sure as I'll feel uh, I'm, I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing this morning, exercising my calling and gift, 
Those with the gift of giving in the body of Christ, they're just as fulfilled when God shows them a need and they give to that need, they send to that need, whatever the case would be. So we talked about the gift of giving. And then we moved over to storehouse tithing. You remember that? I promise you, we're going to get a little farther this morning. Uh, Storehouse tithing. And you remember we dealt with, without going into those who argue against tithing in our era of time, uh, you remember we gave you the validity, Christ gave validity to the tithe. Twice he addressed the Pharisees about the tithe. He said, you tithe of Anais and men and said some other, and he said, you ought to. So he verified it, and we tithe. We believe in storehouse tithing. Certainly we believe in that. The tithe is mentioned, of course, in uh, Luke chapter number 18, and the tithe is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. So the tithe is recorded prior to the law, of course, during the law and under the law, and beyond the law as well. And I gave you some things very practically as to what storehouse tithing is not. It's not ours. God's laid claim to the tithe. It's not ours. As a matter of fact, we're not reading the verses again out of Malachi 3, 8 to 10, but we've robbed God if we withhold the tithe. We have robbed God. Imagine that, robbing God. No one else may know that you're robbing, but he knows what's his. Uh, Tithing, storehouse tithing is not giving to a need. I give sometimes to the American Cancer Society. It's not a large amount, but I give. I give to feed the hungry. Amanda and I give a small portion. It comes out on a bank draft every month. That's not my tithe. I don't count that as a tithe. If we were to help a family who needs groceries, we've done some of that through the years as we've had extra and find out that there was someone with a need, that's not my tithe. I don't count it as a tithe. My tithe, storehouse tithing, is not giving to a need. It's not something given to another church. Brother Larry and Miss Dawn belong uh, to a particular local assembly. They didn't come this morning to put their tithe in our offering plate because they're here this Sunday. When I was at Silver Chapel Baptist Church last week in Bakersville, North Carolina, that they don't pass the offering plates. They leave them at the door. And their people are still faithful to tithe, drop their offerings and their tithes there. I didn't take my tithe to North Carolina last week, uh, but uh, it was brought and placed in the offering plates here by my wife. A tithe is not buying an item and counting it as the tithe. I have known of a number of people through the years that would say the church needs uh, paper towels. We'll go buy a case of them, give it to the church, and that account is our tithe. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Now, if you want to buy some paper towels for the church, buy some for the church, buy some for me too. Can I get an amen? But don't count it as your tithe. Don't count that as your tithe. That's not storehouse tithing. That you being selfish and deciding what you want to do for the church. If you want to give something to the church, give it to the church. No strings attached. But bring your tithe on the Lord's Day. Paul told the church at Corinth, do it every week. Bring it in here. Put it in the, in the storehouse every week. Now, we know, the, we know the storehouse was a receptacle in the temple. That was what was being referred to, right? It's a place where the tithes were stored to take care of a number of things around the temple. And I'll, I'll say something about that in just a moment. The tithe, if your amount of tithe is larger than someone else's, a tithe, your tithe does not give you greater claim and influence in the church. When we put our tithes and offerings into the offering plate at Charity Baptist Church, it all loses its identity there. Right? Those who have little to give, give. 
And those who have much to give, give. And the rest of us in between, give. And it all goes to one account. It all goes uh, and becomes one money, and it loses its identity. And then a tithe is not something we designate. Now, you may designate an offering, but we bring the tithe into the storehouse. The principle of the tithe is it's an act of obedience and an act of faith. Let me run over three principles here, and then I want you to be finding Luke chapter number 6 with me, three verses of Scripture. going to be very practical with those, and then I'm going to close my part of the service today. Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 38. Excuse me, it's where we will be looking in just a moment. But uh, storehouse tithing. Uh, we don't send our tithe to some ministry somewhere, uh, to a television evangelist, etc., etc. But we bring our tithe to the church. When we consider the tithe, the portion of the tithe is 10%. That's what, that's what tithe means. It means a tenth. Ten percent. That's what God has required of us. He said, now that's mine. He takes a dollar out of our every ten, takes ten cents out of our dollar, and uh, we bring it back to the storehouse, and God takes care of the ministry. And it's a global ministry uh, with that tithe. The purpose of the tithe is to take care of the maintenance of the church, the ministry of the church, even the, the minister of the church. I have a hard time saying that, being your pastor. But that's taught in the New Testament. And uh, another preacher would be able to deal with that better than I can. Out of the tithes and offerings, I just recently, and Brother Ronnie Owen just recently, we both preached at a church here a couple of weeks ago. He preached homecoming, and I preached the camp meeting. And they didn't have the regular camp meeting that they had observed through the years. And the reason why was because there was a widow who met the criteria of 1 Timothy chapter number 5 that's called a widow indeed. She buried her husband. She had two children, no grandchildren, two children. She buried both of her children was left alone. She's been faithful to that church. Matter of fact, she was faithful to the meeting. Sat right over here on my right. And one of the men found out it was raining way back. One of the men went by to take her some groceries and, uh, and found out that she had some, some boilers, some pots, uh, sitting around in her house catching the, catching the rainwater coming through her ceiling. And this brother went back and told Brother Daniel Brookman, the pastor, and he got the men together. And they said, look, our, our camp meeting fund, we know what we have, but we also know what the Scriptures teach. She doesn't have a husband. and She doesn't have any children anymore. She has no family. We are her family. And according to the Word of God, if she had had family, it would have fallen upon them and their responsibility to take care of her. But a widow who's a widow indeed. We're fixing to go through First Timothy on Wednesday evenings. Uh, the church is charged to take care of the widow who's the widow indeed. Someone's been faithful to God through the years and given of themselves. And so Brother Daniel said this, said, I propose we cut back on the camp meeting this year. We can have a local preacher. So half that was me. I preached there for over 20 years. It's been remarkable. Some of us went back and relived some of those meetings just standing around this time after services. And, but what they did was they took their camp meeting fund and they re-roofed that widow lady's house. And before I got out of there that week, I thanked them for what they did for that widow. It's been so faithful to God, so faithful to her church. She's not vocal. Uh, she can't be. Her health is broken. She's feeble. 
And if she lives another year, if she lives another 20 years, that's, that's God's business. But that church did right. It did right. And, and I believe God will honor that. They did right. But the tithe, take care of the maintenance and the ministry of the church. There's a promise connected to the tithe. I promise I'm getting to Luke 6. And I'll be brief there. I'm just going to be very practical with it today. Promise connected to the tithe. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know what he said right there about the tithe? Try me. He doesn't say that about much that he has written in his word, but he said that about the tithe. He said, bring it into the storehouse and try me. See if I won't pour you out a blessing. That's why I say the tithe is an act of obedience. Number one, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. All right, Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6. And you know normally I don't jump around a lot. I like to get into text and stay there. I'm convinced expository preaching helps a church. It'll help a preacher and keep him off hobby horses. It will provide a standard, and it will condition the church as well. But you've been patient and uh, in allowing me to jump around these two services now. Luke 6, verse number 36 through 38. Watch this. Uh, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So we learn here that God's people are to be merciful. We've been shown mercy. We should show mercy unto others. Watch verse 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. The first two phrases, if he says anything else, he's saying be accepted. Don't be condemning. Don't be judging. Be accepting. Take a man where he's at. Try to get him to Christ. And then he says be forgiving. He says forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Those are some things that ought to mark your life. And mark my life as believers. And then he says in verse number 38, he says, be giving, be giving. Verse number 38, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again. Now this is a promise God gives to his people regarding giving. That we're to be merciful, we're to be accepting, we're to be forgiving And we're to be giving in this business of serving the Lord. I love that. Look at verse number 38 with me. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured you again. Now there's the command to give. You see the first word of verse number 38. It is the word give. What's the saying? Some preachers have stated through the years. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. Matter of fact, we'll see it in a couple of weeks. Paul said when you give, don't give it grudgingly. Don't take your $5 and try to hold on to it as long as you can. Don't give it with a bad attitude. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You young people that still live under the roof of your parents' home, you have a roof over your head and you have something to eat. You have clothes to put on your back, perhaps an automobile to drive, because somebody loves you enough to give. 
And out of their love, giving flows just as natural, right? I never gave my children a suit of clothes or a meal or anything else and, and regretted it. No parent does that. Our Father has given because He loved. He gave the greatest that could be given for God so loved. Didn't say the, the, the Bible doesn't say God loved the world, but the Bible said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our Father, you can trace in the Trinity, the Father's love throughout all the Word of God, and you can trace our Father's great giving throughout the Word of God. He's the one that gives every good and every perfect gift. He gave us salvation in Christ. Nathan, when you get that baby here, little girl, right? You look at her and be reminded, thank you, Father. He purposed to give a good gift and a perfect gift to you. He's a giving God. And the more we look like him, the more we give. The more we give. So there's the command to give. The context of the verse lets us know that our giving should be liberal giving. Should be liberal giving. We should be liberal in our giving. Notice the compensation for it here in this verse. He says, give, and then he says, and it shall be given you. Three things God's liberal about. He's liberal in his giving. Uh, he expects us to be liberal givers. He expects us to give with much liberality. And he blesses liberal giving in his work. I would guess if I asked Brother Larry Brinker, I, won't, I, I would guess if I asked him to come forward this morning, and tell me about some surprising times where God has met his needs since he stepped out of the pastorate, no longer has a steady salary, but since he has stepped out of the pastorate, I'm sure you could testify to times when there was a need, and God put it in the heart of someone who had no idea what the need was. And over and again, God met the precise need with the precise amount to feed his family to get to the next meeting, his next place of service that he needed to be. God blesses giving. He blesses liberal givings. And liberal giving, one of the joys in this journey of faith is found in giving. It's found in giving. Now, I have some uh, independent brethren who believes if you preach out of that verse as to what it says, that somehow you're preaching a prosperity gospel. I don't preach a prosperity gospel. I have no time for the Benny Hens. Nor the Jesse Duplantis's. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't have any time for Joel Osteen, what he has to say about it either. John Hall says every time he gets another 10,000 members, he grows another tooth in that big smile he is. A man who will not preach the gospel has no business preaching the gospel. A man who despises the truth of God when it concerns judgment and condemnation and wrath, he has no business. He has no business behind a sacred desk anywhere preaching the gospel. You say, preacher, I don't like that. I'm sure the devil don't either. Look at what he says here in verse number 38. Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And we'll see that law of sowing and reaping uh, here in a couple of weeks. I was, I was uh, driving in from Sevierville, Sevierville uh, 
uh, Friday. I had a number of conversations coming in Friday. As a matter of fact, I was on the phone about uh, the whole six and a half, seven hours, just about um, phone calls coming in, first one thing and another. So I ran by a great thinker, I think he is, biblical-minded brother. I told him what we were dealing with regarding giving. And I told him I'd be in this verse here in Luke 6 and, and 38. And I said, now, before I find out how you feel, let me tell you how I feel about it. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It says what it says. It says what it says, and I believe what it says. And I'm not going to try to explain it away. It says what it says. And I believe what it says because it's the Bible. Now, if you'd have said it or I'd have said it, I might could question it, and you might could question it. But God said what God said. Give and it shall be given you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall give you good measure. You know, the idea of that was, was uh, whenever, say, a lady would go and work in the field and she would take what you might uh, think to be an apron. She'd either take a basket or she would take another container. And she, but she, oftentimes she would take, she would take uh, what you might call an apron. And at the end of her labor, they would measure out to her and fill her apron so that she could take grain home to her own family. And what she would do, what they would do is they would pour in, they would fill it up, and then she would shake it down to fill in all the gaps, and then she would put more in. And whenever they would put more in, she would shake it down until it's filled, and then they'd give her more for good measure, and she'd spill a little bit of that on the way home. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you give, and then you hold your apron. And when you hold your apron, I'm going to give back to you. You labor in my vineyard. You do what I say do. And then uh, we'll, we'll fill your bonnet. We'll fill your apron. You shake it real good, and I'm going to fill it, and there's going to be some, uh, there'll be some that will spread out along the way. God does that over and again. He does that uh, with his love. He does it with his mercy. He does it with his grace. Matter of fact, concerning his love, the Bible says... Uh, uh, that, that, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And do you know that's the idea? That is, we hold our apron, the love of God is poured in by the Holy Spirit, we shake and we let everything settle, and He just keeps pouring it in and spills out into somebody else's life. Isn't it amazing how God gives? He gives not so that you can hoard, and He doesn't give so that we can spend. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced God may be more interested in the 90% kept than He is the 10% He calls the tithe and lays claim to. Not just to spend selfishly and, and let the work of God be um, struggle. I, um, through the years, uh, and I'll give you more of this later, but... Um, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago being in Georgia while preaching earlier in that week in North Carolina. Two different families had put a $100 bill in my hand going out the door, different services. And I told Amanda about it. And I said, and I told the pastor about it. I told Brother Steve about it. But when I called her that night, I told her about it. And I said, I just don't think it's ours. I feel like I'm supposed to fold that, keep it in, the, in my wallet. And I just feel like God has someone who needs that. Isn't it amazing how God can do that? Brother Larry, have you ever seen that? I mean, just God put it in somebody's hand to carry it on down the road and put it to use with a family that has a need. So I left North Carolina on Thursday, went down to Auburn, Georgia for services. 
and in a Bible conference, there was a younger preacher. If I called his name, you would know him, church. Just clear as a bell Thursday night. He was the man to get those two $100 bills. I didn't give them to him that night. I do my best to rule out emotion. As a matter of fact, I may drag my feet to a fault. But if I ever make a move, I feel like that move ought to be made. And I don't go back and live with regret. I don't want to look over my shoulder all my life. I drag my feet. I wait till God opens doors. When he opens the door, I don't have to look back and wonder whether or not I pushed that one through. I did some of that early on. Friday morning, we were in the service. He sat in front of me again. We had sweet fellowship. Friday night, just before the service, I said, I have something that is yours. He said, you do. I said, I do, and I reached in my pocket. It was folded, and I reached to shake his hand. He said, oh, no, preacher. I said, no, that's between you and God. He dropped his head, and he said, okay, Jim. And he and God knew the need. I don't have to know the need. Dana Williams. I was going to save this for two weeks. Let me give it to you. We all have confidence in Brother Dana. Uh, he was traveling for a meeting God put it in his heart to give some give a uh, give a preacher five thousand dollars and he struggled with it because he didn't have five thousand dollars but he said he's just clear as a bell and he said I didn't say yes or no he said but I live with that and wrestled with that and he said God put it in my heart to give a certain preacher five thousand dollars and he said I couldn't figure it out and I want to tell you something look when I resigned out at hurricane if you had figured out, my, if you had put my bills, if you had take, taken a pencil and a piece of paper and tried to figure my bills out, it wouldn't work. He was the one who helped me with it. Am I right? It wouldn't work. We didn't go without anything. And we didn't have anything, did we? I could tell you story after story of where God sent the plumber at the right time. God sent somebody with tables and chairs at the right time. God, uh, God sent money at the right time. But here's what Brother Dana said. He said he wrestled with it and he wrestled with it. And he said, God, you know something I don't know. He said, I'm going to give that preacher $5,000 when you give it to me. He said, you know better than I. I don't have it. And I have no way of getting 5000 But he said, Lord, it's his. You give it to me, I give it to him. And when he finally yielded to that, a couple of weeks later, he was preaching. And the pastor called him back in the study and said, preacher said, uh, a family in our church feels very impressed to write you a check, give you a check for 5000 And they give through the church. They don't, they don't give into it. They give it to the church when it's a special offering. They mark it. And they let me and the treasurer know. And so we're going to get the treasurer to get you a check for $5,000. He said, no, don't write me the check for five. He called the preacher's name. He said, I'll get you his mailing address. He said, that $5,000 belongs to that pastor. And he said, I've learned a little bit about his needs and said, God knows all about it. That's between the family that's given it, you as a church for funneling it, and getting it to the man. The rest is history. The rest is history. I'm going to close. I've got more illustrations that I can give you. I want to get back over to chapter number 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. Preachers through the years have called this beyond the tithe. Grace giving or the grace of giving. One of the greatest joys I have found, God doesn't always lay it on my heart to give somebody something. 
doesn't always do that. Every time he does, I just give, not expecting anything in return. Don't even think about that. And I won't get down the road very far at all, and he puts it right back in my pocket or in my hand. I gave a little twenty-two rifle the other day, brand new. I just, I don't like it. It's paid for with Amanda's money. And I gave it to Aaron. They've had a little bit going in their community, and he had a pistol. I had one I bought for Harry. I got back after his death. I, I said, I want this one back. But when you get you, when you come up with another firearm, I want this one back. And I gave him the little rifle. And I was up in Bakersville this week. The man standing around with two pistols, and I showed interest in one. He said, here, I said, it's yours. It's out there in my pickup truck this morning. You mess with me, I'll shoot you. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. I cannot... It's not a prosperity gospel. You give and try. Now, don't give with your hands stuck out. That's the wrong attitude. Don't give with your hands stuck out. Some of you have called me at different times. Matter of fact, I'm fixing to embarrass one, one, and she has a servant's heart, and that's Betsy. No longer Betsy Harris, Betsy Franklin. She's contacted me on at least two that I'm thinking about now, two occasions. Brother Kevin, I've come into some extra money. Do you know anybody in our church that may have a need? You remember those times? She didn't want to keep it. God was supplying her with a good salary, meeting her needs, keeping a roof over her head, something to eat. Good measure of health. She just wanted to pass that on down the road. So like her, many of you have done the same thing across these 11 plus years. Brother Kevin, do you know of a family or do you know of someone in our church first that may have a need? And I've tried to mention to her whenever she's made contact. And I guarantee you, if you were to ask her, I don't know if God showered her with the finances back, but I guarantee you God blessed her for just giving. You've done some of that. Y'all have done some of that. We've done some of that through the years. Give. Learn to give. Learn to love to give. Look for an opportunity to give. One of the greatest joys in this Christian journey for me has been to be able to take what little bit I may have and give it and watch God take a little two mites every now and then and be a blessing to someone else and it proves to be a greater blessing to me to give. I'm going to stop right there. We'll get more in the text next week. Let's stand. Let's stand. Drew, would you come back to the piano this morning, please?